This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, August 4th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Matt Hoysh. In today's headlines, mask up for safety. Town Council discusses lodging tax ballot measure. Telluride Marshall's department reflects on 2020. And a mountain weather forecast. The Delta variant is leading governments and businesses to shift their behavior once again as the war against COVID has changed, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. One shift is heading back to masks. I recognize it's a really hard shift for us to move mentally, especially after all the great work we've done as a community. Um, but even with our high vaccination rates, it's important to recognize that our nearby counties um, do not have the same levels of protection as we're seeing countywide. And we also have the unique visitor influx um, within our county too, um, due to our tourism economy. And so really um, having masks and wearing them indoors in public spaces is that tool to really bring us through this next phase um, in the safest way possible. That's San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin during a public health update to the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners on Wednesday. Franklin adds this go-around, wearing a higher grade of mask is key. She says individuals should opt for a KN95 mask or double masking if possible. I know for myself, um, I'm now wearing a mask again back in the grocery stores um, and the post office and whatnot. And in those quicker, um, less crowded areas, a cloth mask, um, I feel like is fairly protective. But if I'm going to be standing in a crowded line for a long time, Um, or um, at an event, Um, that's where I would wear that higher level mask. In Colorado, Franklin says both COVID case numbers and hospitalizations are on the rise. Both St. Mary's and Montrose Memorial um, really are at um, really high max capacity, so a lot of their beds are filled with COVID patients. With that said, she notes both hospitals are still able to accept transfers from the local medical centers. And in San Miguel, case numbers have decreased over the past few weeks. However, Franklin says she doesn't believe the identified cases are representative of the disease burden. I do think that overall, based on our wastewater numbers, as well as anecdotally um, people um, being sick, um, the testing numbers are significantly lower than the true disease burden. So it's important to note that we're probably undercounting who's actually sick in our county. Still, Franklin says the county should be proud of its vaccination numbers. Across the board, San Miguel County has a higher vaccination rate than the majority of the Western Slope. The Egnar region, Franklin notes, currently has a vaccination rate of roughly 40 percent. Norwood is at 50 percent, and the east end of the county, Placerville East, is at roughly 90 percent vaccination. I just wanted to call this out because we have been seeing that flip-flop of the disease burden, um, where during the winter in our higher densely populated areas, um, on the east end, we saw the biggest disease burden, and now um, Um, We're seeing the most um, disease burden in the Norwood region, and that really does make sense um, if we're at 50 in like around 54, 55 percent of the population vaccinated and we're um, engaging in a bunch of different activities um, in similar pre-pandemic style and that the virus will continue to spread among those unvaccinated. The Public Health Department will host a number of COVID vaccine clinics in the coming weeks. There will be a Pfizer clinic in Norwood on Thursday, August 12th, and in Telluride on Friday, August 13th. There will be Moderna clinics in Telluride on Friday, August 6th, and Friday, August 20th. 
Registration is available at sanmiguelcountyco.gov slash coronavirus under the vaccine tab. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is available at both the Telluride Regional Medical Center and the Incompagre Medical Center. The San Miguel Board of County Commissioners will resume weekly public health updates regarding COVID-19 with Franklin moving forward. A ballot measure looking to shift how funds raised from lodging in Telluride is getting closer to the voters. This week, Telluride Town Council discussed language for a ballot measure opting out of the current county lodging tax and implementing its own town lodgers tax. Currently, there is a 2% tax on all nightly lodging accommodations paid by those staying in the units. Taxes are collected by the state in the towns of Telluride and Norwood and unincorporated parts of the county. The funds then go back to the county to be spent on marketing and tourism. Specifically, the funds go towards Marketing Telluride, Inc., also known as the Telluride Tourism Board. Mountain Village collects its own lodging tax but opted out of the county tax in the early 90s. If voters approve the ballot measure, the town of Telluride would collect, retain, and spend the revenue rather than sending it to the county. At its meeting this week, town council discussed where that money would go based on the ballot language. Option one would be a very broadly worded for the purpose of town purposes as hereafter determined by town council. That's Telluride town attorney Kevin Geiger. Option two has more details, stating revenue would go to, quote, mitigate the effects of tourism on the community and its natural resources, and for other town purposes as hereafter determined by the town council. And then option three, if you wanted to retain the ability to use some of the funding as it is currently being used for marketing and promotion of tourism, in addition to the option one and option two language, We've included language relating to activities related to tourism or marketing, along with mitigation of the effects of tourism on the community and its natural resources and other town purposes. Council quickly steered away from option two. Council member Jesse Ray Arguez supports option one. She says council doesn't have enough information to set where the funds should go, if not to marketing. Right now, the only thing I feel comfortable with is just being the entity that recoups the lodging tax funds that are um, issued within the town of Telluride. I don't feel comfortable making decisions in any other way until we fully understand the value or the unvalue of what marketing is bringing into Telluride right now. But Councilmember Lars Carlson believes it's important to state where the funds are actually going. I'm uncomfortable with one um, just because it looks like it's just going into the town slush fund and we don't I don't know where it's going. Councilmember Tom Watkinson says he's uncomfortable with the ballot measure in any form. He's concerned no one from the community has approached him about the issue. This affects everyone so much. This affects how much money a business might bring in. This affects the employees of your business. This affects every family member. This affects how you put food on your table, how you raise your children. I can't believe no one has come to me to talk to me about this. This is something that a body of seven has brought to the table to drastically change the economy of this town. It's mind-boggling. 
but Mayor Delaney Young believes the silence could be because in previous meetings, council alleviated fears that money towards marketing would completely go away. Because I specifically asked every single council member, is anyone here wanting to eliminate totally funding for marketing and not a single person raised their hand. We all understand, I believe, that marketing is a necessity. During public comment, Dan Jansen, president of the Telluride Tourism Board, shared his concern with the ballot measure as well. He says if funding for the Tourism Board decreases, they may lose the expertise of those working for the board now. Operationally, how are you going to undertake the marketing? Let's say we pass a budget in November. My anticipation is there'll be less money for marketing. Who is going to execute it? You're in the middle of the ski season. Campaigns are already underway. But I know from the tourism board perspective, you know, we have to make rent January 1. We have to pay our employees. So the visitor center would probably, we probably need to make dramatic changes there. So I just encourage you to think through operationally, how are you going to execute the marketing mid-season when there's only a month or so notice uh, towards when it comes into effect. While Arguez is in support of funding going to marketing, she also notes the tourism board shouldn't count on the town for its funding. No business really knows what they're going to make every year and people adjust their budgets accordingly. So we don't have an obligation to give any entity the same amount of money every year. So I don't think that that needs to be this like super big talking point. And I don't, businesses shouldn't necessarily rely on the town of Tyride. If they get a perk, that's one thing, but people also need to be able to, to create their own income on their own. And if they get extra funding from us, then that's a bonus. The general consensus from council is to move forward with option three, stating funds will go towards tourism efforts and management of tourism effects with a menu, as Geiger puts it, of examples for other places the funds could go. Then you would be picking among that menu a number of things that you would like to allocate to. You you could not, for instance, take this money and go to a completely different purpose that was not, quote, a town purpose or one of the things that we've laid out in the ballot question. Council decided to include affordable housing and funding for wastewater treatment as examples for funding uses. Town Council plans to take action on the final ballot language at its August 24th meeting. If approved, the measure will go to voters at the November 2nd election. As with most organizations, 2020 was a year like no other for the Telluride Marshals Department. COVID-19 effectively closed town for several weeks in the spring. When things reopened in the summer, half of Colorado Avenue was shut down to traffic, and high-volume events such as music festivals were pretty much non-existent. But what did all the changes mean for local law enforcement? According to Chief Marshal Josh Compt, the Telluride Marshals Department saw decreases in several crime statistics. For one, case reports were down significantly. In 2019, we had a total of 409 case reports that we took and a total of 306 in 2020. Just for comparison's sake, by for 2021, we're already at 302 case reports taken for the year. That's Compt briefing Telluride Town Council this week on the Marshals Department's 2020 annual report. Violent crimes and significant property crimes, as well as arrests, fell to five-year lows. And welfare checks around mental health issues were also down by a little less than 20 percent from 2019. 
But last year wasn't just a story of falling numbers. Traffic offenses, comp notes, increased to 570 from 450 in 2019, a rise of over 25 percent. This is a significant jump in my mind because, you know, for about three months, there wasn't really anybody coming in or out of town. And we all know that how much traffic we had during summer. So uh, the summer of 2020 kept our department busy responding to traffic offenses and handling traffic stops. Vandalism also saw an increase of about 10 percent from 2019. Thefts increased from 51 in 2019 to 52 in 2020. Disorderly conduct calls also increased by one year on year from 24 to 25. And 911 calls were up 183 in 2020 compared to 122 in 2019. Now, not all these 911 calls are emergencies. A lot of them are pocket dials or missed dials. But nonetheless, every 911 call warrants a marshal's response to go and check and make sure that everything is okay or was in fact a missed dial. Foot patrols comp notes were an important area of focus for the department last year. Uh, Especially during the summer months of 2020, um, we made an increased effort to be more visible on Colorado Avenue, and this has continued throughout the rest of 2020 and into 2021. Compt also presented the numbers so far for several metrics in 2021. This year, he explains, there have already been 508 traffic offenses and 162 citations. If the trend continues, he says this could be the highest year for both in recent years. In 2021, there have also already been 63 welfare checks, mental health and suicide calls, compared to 66 for the whole of 2020. Um, Again, we're on pace to have our highest year again in this category. Compt also points to San Miguel County's Mental Health Co-Responder Program, which sends mental health professionals to respond on certain calls. The Marshals Department, Comp says, used that program 24 times in 2020. This year, they've already used them 55 times. So this is a significant increase again. So far in 2021, there have been five assaults. That's compared to 10 for the whole of 2020. We're trying to limit the number and keep that number down as well by being more proactive in our foot patrols around bar closing um, and having more of a presence on Colorado Avenue as everyone's uh, leaving the bars and heading home. When it comes to living situations, Comp says all of the department's staff has housing and is happy with where they are. Council had largely positive comments for Compt. Here's Councilmember Jesse Ray Arguez, who says she's had members of the public stop her on the streets to say good things about the Marshals Department. People, I think, for the first time in a long time are, are feeling like we have a law enforcement that is working on behalf of the community here and It's refreshing and you've done an amazing job, Josh, and everyone you've hired, um, everyone from code enforcement to officers. I mean, people are just singing your praise left and, and right. So thank you guys so much for everything you're doing. 2021 is shaping up to be another memorable year in different ways than 2020. The Tyride Marshals Department has been busier than expected, and Comp says it doesn't look like the trend will change anytime soon. Music, food, and friends will be allowed at this year's Jazz Festival and Blues and Brews Festival, no COVID allowed. This week, SBG Productions announced it will be requiring proof of a COVID vaccine or a negative COVID test to enter the festival grounds for both jazz and blues and brews. In a letter to Festivarians, SBG says the decision to require a vaccine is based on the growing threat of the Delta variant. Noting the change is to protect festival attendees, staff, artists, vendors, volunteers, and community members, quote, even when local or state regulations do not require it. 
In order to receive a festival wristband this year, festival goers must present proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test within 48 hours at the time of entry. For those who are unvaccinated, free testing will be available at the festival box office. If a festival goer tests positive for COVID, they will not be allowed entry into the park or campgrounds. There will be no refund for those who test positive. SBG is also recommending individuals to wear masks while in crowded areas of the festival. The Telluride Jazz Festival will take place August 13th through 15th. The Telluride Blues and Brews Festival will take place September 17th to 19th in Town Park. There's not a lot you can get nowadays for a dollar, but this Thursday, a dollar will get you a concert. The Sheridan Arts Foundation is bringing back their $1 community night at the Sheridan Opera House. Flash Mountain Flood, a boulder-based roots rock and roll band, will play starting at 9 p.m. The foundation started community night in 2019, but had to cut it off when COVID hit. Now, they're bringing it back, and, according to executive director Ronnie Palomar, hoping to do four $1 concerts a year, one per season, moving forward. Because we want everybody to gather that possibly can't afford in the winter to buy a 45 or 55 dollar concert ticket. Tickets are only available at the door on a first-come, first-served basis. And Palomar notes, you don't have to be a local to get in. You don't have to uh, live um, in 81435 zip code. Anybody can attend. It's just giving back to the community. Masks and distancing will not be required. But like all public events at the Opera House, attendees will have to show proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test within the last 72 hours. $1 Community Night will take place Thursday, August 5th at the Sheridan Opera House. Doors open at 8 p.m. and music starts at 9 p.m. There will also be a free happy hour performance by $6 String Band at the show bar at 6 p.m. For a lot of people in and around Telluride, one of the top issues on their minds is housing. And it's not just an issue for San Miguel County. KOTO has partnered with multiple stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at economic mobility through housing to understand how the challenge and possible solutions are playing out across the region. Today, we're heading just down the road to Montezuma County. Southwest Colorado is facing a housing crisis, just like many other rural communities across the Mountain West. To combat the problem, local organizations in the region are building affordable housing developments. But the housing crisis is a complex issue, and additional housing inventory won't solve it alone. KSJD's Lucas Brady-Woods has this report. In Southwest Colorado's Montezuma County, what little housing is available just isn't affordable for many residents. Rents are being pushed higher and higher because there's such low housing inventory in the region. Folks can't afford our high rents. Um, our wage scale here is fairly low, so we've got folks that just literally are paying way too much of their income to stay housed. That's Kelly Willis. She's the executive director of the Pinion Project Family Resource Center a nonprofit that provides a variety of services to Montezuma County residents. The organization has a handful of subsidized housing units available for low-income individuals. Willis says the organization also has plans to build a 50-unit affordable housing complex in Montezuma County. Tenants there will have a portion of their rent covered based on their income. Everybody 
regardless of income, 30% of their income, if they have it, is what their rent remains. And it's not transitional housing, so it's not time-limited. People can remain there as long as they need to. Housing projects like this take time, though, and the Pinion Project's development hasn't even started construction yet. Willis says it's still looking for financing. That means it won't be move-in ready for another two years at least. Another affordable housing project in the area is being built by the Montezuma County Housing Authority. That project will include about 40 units, but won't be finished for a while either. According to the Housing Authority's executive director, it won't be move-in ready for over a year. But there are hundreds of people in Montezuma County who are struggling with housing insecurity right now. Willis says the wait lists on Pinion Project properties alone have around 400 people on them. On top of that, resources are especially scarce in southwest Colorado for people who are experiencing housing emergencies, such as homelessness or unsafe living conditions. And the few that are available are only temporary fixes. There's really not a lot of options for unhoused. Hopefully, we we have put um, what I think is probably a Band-Aid on um, a lot of our emergency needs for housing. And even when the affordable housing projects are finally built, they'll probably only scratch the surface of the housing crisis. The city of Durango in neighboring La Plata County is the closest population center to Montezuma County. Carrie Harrison is the head of Oak Tree Resources, an organization that helps youth find housing in Durango. She says that Durango already has several subsidized apartment buildings, but that they didn't make much of a dent in the housing crisis. Even though we have the affordable housing built in, in Durango, they're, they're all sitting full, and we don't have the supply available that is even close to being affordable. Harrison also says using affordable housing as a solution has limitations. Whether it be the young person I'm working with or a 30-year-old, that working adult who still can't afford a place to rent, they don't qualify for affordable housing, and they're floundering. Dr. Benjamin Waddell is a professor at Fort Lewis College in Durango. He studies poverty and systemic inequality, and he thinks that people need to shift their thinking when they consider possible solutions to the housing crisis. For example, he says there are some concrete steps communities can take to redistribute some of the wealth that's concentrated around housing. One of the ways that towns like Durango need to look at this is by looking at lodgers' taxes. I think um, they need to be more aggressive. He also says it's important to remember there are factors outside the housing market that are interrelated with the housing crisis. We've seen the inflation of higher education, the inflation of medical costs. We've seen the inflation of transportation costs across the board. Housing, um, you see this inflation of of costs, but wages have really just kind of flatlined. Waddell says that if members of a community can't afford to access essential services because their wages are too low, they can't change their economic situation. And that creates inequality in areas like housing. Carrie Harrison, back at Oak Tree Resources, also thinks people need to start shifting the way they think about the housing crisis. People need to educate themselves. We need to educate people on how easy it is for someone to struggle with housing insecurity. And the focus has to change regarding what homelessness is or the potential for homelessness. Because, she says, anyone, including her own family, could be one paycheck away from housing insecurity. For KSJD News and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Lucas Brady-Woods. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 50 degrees. 
Thursday, expect sunny skies with a high in the mid-70s and a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms. Thursday night, expect mostly clear skies with a low around 50 degrees. Friday should be mostly sunny with a high in the mid-70s and a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms. Friday night calls for mostly clear skies with a low around 50. This has been the news for Wednesday, August 4th. Thanks for listening. Keep a story idea or a news tip? Call the news team at 728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hey there, Coto listeners. It's Sarah Holbrook here, the executive director of the Pinhead Institute. And I've got a science numbers story for you. But first, a little anecdote. Yesterday, one of my dear loved ones and I were walking by um, a full-size pickup truck and it was idling. And so this loved one of mine tapped on the window and said, I don't mean to give you a hard time. I just want to let you know that there's a law against idling in Telluride. And then they yelled at us. Uh, And so just to avoid being yelled at, I figured I should fill these listeners here with the facts about idling. Um, researchers estimate that idling from heavy-duty and light-duty vehicles combined wastes about 6 billion gallons of fuel annually. And half of that is personal vehicles or cars and motorcycles, which generate about 30 million tons of CO2 every year just by idling. So if you think of shutting off at least those 250 million personal vehicles, it's the equivalent of taking 5 million vehicles off the road. And you're kind of like, "Mm, what does that really have to do with me? Well, if you're listening to this, you probably love skiing and you love winter. And I was just talking with climate scientist Adam Chambers about the winter situation and climate science and what the numbers are showing. And he says that there is now warmer weather into later November here in Telluride, which prohibits the wonderful ski mountain from pre-making snow. And so it's becoming harder and harder to open the ski mountain at the right time. So anyhow, I just want you to think of that when you are thinking about whether or not you should turn off your car. After about 10 seconds of idling, it makes more sense to turn it off than to worry about whether it wastes gas restarting. It doesn't. So that's my little uh, science by the numbers on idling. It's against the law. And I'm going to try to work with Telluride Arts to see if we can put a sign in town that says something along the lines of, No idling, slow down, be nice with some local artists because, of course, we love to collaborate with Telluride Arts and all our collaborators. Speaking of collaborators, I wanted to reach out to the Telluride Academy to say thank you so much for a wonderful summer of collaborating on your wonderful camps. Also, thank you to our campers and our camp counselors. Um, And also, thanks for the collaboration with the town of Telluride because tomorrow our kids are going to erect a bridge over, I think, an irrigation ditch on the valley floor in full compliance and cooperation with the town of Telluride and their engineers. We are so grateful. We are so excited for the kids. Um, And soon enough, you'll be able to walk across a bridge on the valley floor built by Pinhead's young engineers. Isn't that exciting? Well, that's it for now. Sign up for your fall classes. They're up on our website right now, www.pinheadinstitute.org. Thanks so much. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Koto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.